Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. She came back like she promised. I did After the election. <laughs> I did. I did. It's my triumphant return. <laughs> well, Scotty Hertz did an admirable job of filling in for... Candice Lepage, although it was uh, disappointing he didn't choose uh, another teen movie <laughs> to fill that slot but uh, we, we we accept his 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 hard works just the same in his selection of a war movie to uh... <laughs> of course, of course <laughs> I'm sure I will get to listening to that I will uh, admit that during the election my uh, podcast uh, playlist has gotten a little bit long so uh, I'm probably, I don't know, four weeks away from listening to that episode <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's good listening when you get to it but uh end credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we are here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new science fiction thriller Firestarter. and uh you can see that now in theaters or stream it on premium vod also i was just looking it up it's at the mustang drive-in this weekend Ooh. in a double bill with uh jurassic world dominion so if the if the fire doesn't get you, the dinosaurs will. Um, <laughs> it's good watching uh, from your car. But um, before we get to that, obviously, Firestarter. Well, maybe not obviously. It's not one of his best known stories. But Firestarter is a, did start out as a Stephen King story, um, and it was adapted in I'm going to say 1982. 80, 83, 82, 83, something like that. Yes, it's one of those around there. Uh, it was when Drew Barrymore was young. And um, after meeting an alien, she went out and started fires, which I think is. <laughs> that's the trajectory. That's yes. the trajectory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we thought it'd be fun to uh, talk about some of our favorite Stephen King movies or movies that have been adapted from Stephen King's stories. So Candace, you have actually been taking the time, <laughs> effort, and energy to read all of Stephen King's books. I sure have. So you bring yeah. rarefied experience to this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bring a person who's who's been immersed in in the kingdom for uh Ooh, I like that. I know, right? <laughs> it's almost like I just made that up. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been doing this reread. I think I started in June of 2019. So um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty deep into it. Uh, though I will admit that I haven't been. So I've been reading the books, mm -hmm. um, and every I did sort of feel like when I was reading them, I thought, well, maybe I'll watch, I'll rewatch the you know movie of it after having reread the book. Um, but I haven't been doing that as much. Uh, there are a few that I did go back and and rewatch. You know kind of following reading them but mostly i've just been sticking with the books and so um it's you know it's been a while since i've seen a number of these films mm -hmm. so it's been uh it's been nice to kind of go back and go oh yeah that movie oh yeah that movie because let me tell you <laughs> a lot of movies have been made out of stephen king properties <laughs> uh, a surprising number or perhaps a not so surprising number um there is some there is some gentle on the nose humor in that family guy gag about Stephen King, like 
just coming up with a lamp monster story on the fly it 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 seems a bit it seems like a cruel taunt but it, it also has a, a shred of truth to it yeah yeah uh, yeah so um i guess let's get to the list and uh we each have three picks i hope there isn't much crossover but i mean there is there are so many stephen king works but uh n- not all of them are mm-hmm. good I'll just put that out there <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of them are downright bad <laughs> very true some of them are downright bad despite years and years and years in 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 development mm-hmm. um thinking about the dark tower there yeah. um but anyway let's get to enough enough hype in the list let's get to the list mm-hmm. candace start us off with your first pick okay so i think i think probably i have three that that you won't have because mm-hmm. um, I went a little bit, uh, a little bit different from the obvious ones, though they're, it's really hard. You know, I'm not going to say that these are necessarily the best ones if I really had to rank them, but they're the ones that kind of came to mind when I was like, you know, what, what would I rewatch? Sort of, you know, go, go for rewatchability. I'll say. So um, the first one I'm going to suggest is Cujo, mm-hmm. um, which. You know, it's I'm going to say it's arguably not a great film. There are actually there are certainly some problems with it. And some people find, um, yeah, some people kind of place it a little bit lower in the in the list of films that Stephen King has, you know, has come out of his brain. Mm-hmm. But I think what is really, really good about Cujo is just the level of intensity. So this I mean, this story is really like. All it is is two people stuck in a car most of the time in the broad daylight with a, a not supernatural anything going on. There's just a dog outside who is sick with rabies, who who is just prowling the car and they can't and a very big dog is St. Bernard. But that's that's it. It's just, you know, two people in a car in the daylight and a dog and the the intensity that's brought by both uh, Danny Pintero of who's the boss fame and um, uh, 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 D Williams. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's, it's so good. Their acting is just so good. And at times when I feel like it probably would have even been hard to, to find that in yourself on set again, in the middle of the day against a ridiculous looking mechanical dog and, or a staff person, you know, a stunt person with like, a fake dog head on them but i will say like watching it it's just once you get to that you you know there's a little bit of downtime at the beginning but once you get to the part where they get to that um sort of yard and get stuck in the car it's it's really good and it's intense and it's a good um you know it's a good like little thriller to watch um i will also say when i reread the book um the book has a different ending from the movie. And so I might suggest that if you haven't reread the book recently and you do like the film to go back and, and read the book because uh, yeah, it's, it's a different ending. And I think it's really an interesting, it's an interesting uh, story that way. Hmm. Uh, a lot of, a lot of times they do change the ending of, from the book to the movie. And I, I haven't read of many Stephen King books, but I, I am kind of vaguely aware that uh, they are not, they don't always closely 
follow <laughs> the plot. At least some I'm- of his endings are downright unfilmable. <laughs> that's true too. I mean, that's that's the thing about the joke in it chapter two, and it's like mm-hmm. you don't know how to write endings, and it's like. Yeah, we've we've known. I mean, first of all, we've known for a while, but I don't think uh, making cracks about it in a Stephen King based movie, especially when it's Stephen King. I think, you know, I just yeah, uh, we it, get it. it. We're it all was, there. It was in, I don't know. I think it was in bad taste. It's not a, it's not even a cell phone at this point. It's so it's 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 almost like a TV trope anyway. Um, yeah, TV, the point I was getting at that TV tends to be more um more beholden to the material uh, because if you're filming a thousand page book, you, you should probably mm-hmm. get more time. Anyway, um, <laughs> my first pick is following along similar lines, also from kind of a similar time period. It's John Carpenter's Christine, which is about an evil car. Mm-hmm. And it was changed from the book. I know that there's the book is essentially uh, the car is essentially possessed in the book, but in the movie, the car is, born bad shall we say it comes off the assembly line <laughs> yeah. evil yeah um which i guess <laughs> i guess could be like taken as a metaphor for birth you know like sometimes people are born and they just turn out to be evil well sometimes cars come off an assembly line and they just turn out to be evil so uh the haunted car um it is uh bought by uh one of these kind of two dorky guys who are best friends in california arnie uh, he buys the car and it, it kind of ends up the car ends up possessing him because he slowly over the course of the movie turns into Danny Zuko from Greece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, yep, um, yep. He, he romances Alexandra Paul. This was at least several years before she um, would rise to prominence on Baywatch. Um <laughs> But uh, I mean, it's it's interesting, this film, because uh, so many of the young people in it are were not well known at the time. It, John Carpenter chose mostly unknowns. Harry Dean Stanton, who, you know, had been in several movies by that point, plays the cop, the the, <laughs> the grizzled cop that's in all of these Stephen King uh, products who uh, ter- begin as skeptics, turn into believers and it's just fun to watch this car, not only watch how the car has this possessing effect on Arnie, but how the the car um, is, is given like this kind of personality and um, it, the thirst for revenge against people who dare to vandalize it or uh, besmirch Arnie or uh, try to seduce him. And there's, there's a great scene at the end where the, the, the girlfriend, Lee, and uh, the friend Dennis come up with a plan to get rid of Christine once and for all. But Christine was eavesdropping on them as they mm-hmm. were coming up with the plan. And uh, it leaves it open for a sequel because you're not entirely sure that the car is destroyed at the end. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But uh, it's it's great, like just solid uh, filmmaking because the, the plot is so ludicrous. It's an evil car that it, it could have easily uh, gone off the rails, so to speak. But um, John Carpenter, uh, who is just such a, a master at just like the fun filmmaking fundamentals. And uh, he, he, at this point he was coming off of the, the, 
I will say the financial failure of the thing, because I don't, I don't consider the thing, the failure. And I don't think anybody really considers mm-hmm. the thing a failure now, but it's um, it was in that run where he did uh, Halloween Elvis escape from New York, the thing, and then Christine and um, what came after Christine. I think that's where things start to. And uh, then it's they live, isn't it? Uh, or was there a- Starman. No, he did Starman, oh. then big trouble. And then Prince of Darkness, and then they lived. So, oh. I mean, this was in this was in his murderer's row phase. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, good solid filmmaking. Evil car um, that you do believe is evil, and uh, the, a lot of that credit goes to John Carpenter. So, Christine yeah. is a good solid pick. I will definitely um, uh, double up on that because it was on my my list too, and then I took it off because I thought, well, you, I, I thought that it might it might come up. So I decided mm-hmm. not to bring it up despite the fact that John Carpenter, I think is a great director and um, uh, spoiler alert for the next conversation is one of the best parts of uh, the movie where <laughs> we did review. Um, uh, <laughs> I Christine is actually one of the ones uh, I'd say there's maybe like three or four movies that I have watched as part of this sort of, sort of reread of Stephen King books. And Christine was one of the ones that I did. I did watch again mm-hmm. because yes, I also really liked it. And I think he did a really like masterful job at, at um, yeah. At making like in the book, you can, it, it's not ridiculous that the car is evil, mm-hmm. but how do you, how do you put that on screen? And I think he did a really great job and, to this day, when I see sort of, you know, abandoned cars, <laughs> classic cars kind of sitting there, I, I still, I've always, I've always thought of Christine when I walk past something, I'm like, oh my God, this car's just going to turn on and drive right over me. Especially cars with fins. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's your number two? <laughs> uh, my number two uh, is Dr. Sleep, which <gasps> is shocking because a lot of people really don't like this movie. And I, I will caveat that. I have not read the book yet, um, and so that gives me a unique view on this film um, because I, I I know most of the people who don't like the film don't like it because it strayed pretty dramatically, I understand, from, from the book. Well, I mm-hmm. definitely know it strayed dramatically from the book because when I watched it, I had just reread The Shining, and I was like, how is this a sequel? To the, <laughs> like, this is a remake so this is a they've made a movie out of a book the book is a sequel to another book in the end of the original book they destroyed the hotel how is the hotel in this movie like i don't understand it really made me like wow i really want to read this book because i don't understand how there's a movie that's both being made out of a book but yet it's also the sequel of a movie that has a completely different ending it is very very convoluted Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. because I'd never read the book, I think I was able to go into Dr. Sleep with a very different set of expectations than people. And I really, really enjoyed it. I think it was um, just the best part. The thing that that is particularly because I've been rereading so much, <laughs> the thing that I love the most about Stephen King is that he really doesn't, there's very rarely actual horror in mm. in the book like christine kind of feels like the first i mean he wrote a vampire novel as mm-hmm. a second novel but there's a lot of like th- there's you know carrie the dead zone 
Firestarter are about people who have some sort of power and that power is, um, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. it's, it kind of is a metaphor for something else or it happens, you know, all that sort of stuff. And even Christine, as I was reading it, Christine was sort of the first one. I was like, oh, okay. So it's kind of like, like a, 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 a an evil car. Okay. There's actually some sort of like horror to it, but the actual story, it's really just about maturity and becoming a teenager and going through all those emotions and so dr sleep is is so just like full of that Mm -hmm. because you know we see you know all these there's just so many levels right of talking about grief and talking about addictions and talking about trauma because what it is is danny who is the the son of um uh the Jack. in the shining jack, jack thank torrance. you jack yeah, yeah. <laughs> jack torrance so danny you know becomes an adult and has to some you know recover somehow from his father trying to kill them and you know all all these things and then has his own sort of version of some sort of psychic ability and and he just you know the, it starts where he's just completely lost he has not even reached rock bottom there's actually some pretty awful things that happen and he still goes a little bit further in this addiction you know to alcoholism and so much of it is about just this beautiful like story of how you forgive yourself mm-hmm. and forgive your father like forgive the person who made you this and the people who help you with that um while also telling the story of this young girl abra who has a very different upbringing but has has a similar gift and becomes a target of of people who want her gift and it's just i just really really like this film and the the change at the end with going back to the hotel which of course in the actual book the shining was destroyed so there's no way for danny to go somewhere to physically sort of face his own traumas but in the in the movie of doctor sleep this happens and it's so it's so well done and then yet also gives the Overlook Hotel, the ending that it it deserves and the ending that it actually had in the book. So mm-hmm. I was like, how? how? I'm so intrigued to read this book because I don't understand. Like, what could the ending actually have been of Dr. Sleep? So I do look forward to when I get there. But the the movie to me was just, it was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, spoilers, slight spoilers for the Dr. Sleep book, but which is one of the few I have read. Um, he goes back to the site of where the overlook mm-hmm. was. So that's, I, I guess it's the, <laughs> the, the ground that is haunted, not necessarily the hotel building. But I mean, Kubrick brought so much of his his own stuff into The Shining too. And I, and I, and I know that's why Stephen King hated it uh to <laughs> to avoid prettying it up he hated it um yeah. though he has like toned down and does accept that yes it was a well-done film it's just mm. different <laughs> yeah fair enough uh, and i mean for that for that reason why i also had doctor sleep on my list because i was thinking about the shining mm. i've actually been able to see the shining on the big screen um the original uh film and everything was played on film this was years and years and years ago at the bookshelf um so i i i enjoyed that movie a lot i enjoy it for its 
um, its tone and atmosphere for its Nicholson for its like all the crazy, like, what does it really mean? Um, p- plots that have propped up around it. Um, see the documentary room two, three, seven. Um, so I, I've, I have had a soft spot for uh, the shining for a long time. Um, even the, <laughs> the ending where it turns out they, he, he, he was in the hotel the whole time. Um, still not <laughs> question mark still not 100 yeah. percent clear um but to put dr sleep on the list instead because it is f- somehow paradoxically faithful to the kubrick vision of mm-hmm. the story and the king version of the story and that is uh to be able to walk that fine line uh mike flanagan did a, a, an amazing job and yet uh the, the performances in it too are what I enjoy uh, immensely too. Like the seeing Henry Thomas play Jack Nicholson without doing a Jack Nicholson impression is, is something to behold too. I mean, talk about walking a fine line. You also have Carl Lumbly uh, playing Scatman Crothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, not playing Scatman Crothers, but playing uh, Mr. O'Halloran, who's the, uh, the the caretaker who also has the shining who say, who tries to save Danny in the first film and uh, and then you know to have uh, Ewan McGregor play young uh, Dan or old Danny Torrance yeah. <laughs> um, and Rebecca Ferguson as as Rose the Hat who I think is one of the really great at least the way she plays Rose the Hat is one of the really great king villains because um the King stories are great at mood. They're great at setting. They're great at setups. I don't think there are too many like real villains that stand out though. Like, I mean, you're, you're, Christine, go back to Christine for a moment, like the car, yeah. like, you know, it's a car, but um, with, with Rose, the hat, you, you really get a very layered, very seductive villain. Uh, the way Rose Ferguson plays her, which is really, really great. Mm-hmm. All righty, that leaves one more pick. So number three. All right. Now I'm nervous that it's going to be the same one. (laughs) I'm hoping you're going to go with the other most obvious one and I'm going to go with the second most obvious one. So uh, Stand By Me, Mm -hmm. uh, which I have put on another list when we, we, I think when we did our um, uh, top uh, coming of age films. But Stand By Me not only is such a great Stephen King adaptation it's such a great coming of age story it was also just at such a coming of age moment for me also um but uh yeah i mean the film is just it's it's just dripping with with nostalgia and warm feelings and um fat jerry uh, o'connell <laughs> yes yes <laughs> fun jerry o'connell and um you know uh Corey Feldman in mm-hmm. some ways sort of playing uh, the character of the person he became as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Corey, interesting. Corey Feldman. Yeah. yeah. Teddy Duchamp was a little. Um, yeah. But yeah. and then Will Wheaton and River Phoenix. So just these four really incredible young actors who um, put in really great performances. And I think there's certainly a lot that um, uh, Rob Reiner did to get good performances out of them, but he also just lucked out. Obviously, all four of these actors continued on in their careers and and continued being really incredible actors. So he also, you know, whoever was doing the casting for his film just was perfect. Same thing e- even with Kiefer Sutherland, who played Ace. 
who's also just, he was so good at, at just, you just wanted to punch him in the face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people think that Stephen King's um, short stories and novellas are better than his novels because he keeps it a little bit tighter. Mm-hmm. But I will definitely say that the the shorter stories make for better films, better adaptations because there's less to to take out of it, right? right. Yeah. So um, there's room to grow and let it be something a little feel feel like something a little more organic. Yeah. 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 So uh, you know, there's not a lot to say about Stand by Me. Everybody's seen it. Everybody knows what it is. <laughs> It's great. Um, yeah. And, and you know, many people will sort of universally say they don't like Stephen King, but they do like some of his more dramatic stories, yeah, which have been turned into films. And, um, you know, this is one of them. So if you don't think you like Stephen King, you probably still like Stand By Me. Well, I, I also know that it comes from a, a collection called different seasons and three out of the four of the stories in that book have been made into movies and the others are mm-hmm. at pupil and the Shawshank redemption. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid book. I don't know when or, or how or why anything will become of the fourth story, but um, yeah, hey. I haven't, haven't reread that one. Cause I've not been rereading the short stories or novellas, but that's the, the breathing method. So I can't remember mm-hmm. what it's about. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I don't. I can't remember either. Uh, for my number three, um, I don't know if it was the other most obvious one, but it is a, one of the more it is a, a more dramatic story from King. It's Misery. Also, Rob Reiner. Um, mm-hmm. Also, him and William Goldman's follow up to A Princess Bride. Um, Rob mm-hmm. Reiner did direct When Harry Met Sally in between. But uh, this is uh, Misery is where he teamed up again with with William Goldman. And. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's one of the few well-known King stories that don't have anything to do with the supernatural, but that doesn't make it any less tense. That doesn't make it any less horrific. Um, The scene where Annie Wilkes breaks um, Paul's... Paul's ankles. ankles. Yes, I was. I was trying to. If it's is it his feet or is his ankles that she breaks? Uh, it's it's horrific. Just you can you can almost feel the pain in your own feet. Um, just watching it, and it's also this story about obsession and like fan obsession and um, living vicariously through your favorite characters and what happens when someone decides to do something you don't like with your characters. It is somehow even. Um, on, on, on this point, like uh, that's even more of a, I feel that's even more a, p- a piece of this that makes the story even more relevant now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this idea of, of uh, obsessed fans um, who are getting angry over um, the fate of their characters um, or the introduction of new characters or their favorite creators doing things that aren't the things that they like. Yeah. So there's there's a lot to chew on here and plus it's just a really great sort of two-hander with uh james Kahn and kathy bates kathy bates who by the way won the oscar for best actress for misery so mm-hmm. and it was uh, like one of her first roles right like yeah, she was nobody yeah. before that yeah she i mean this it made her a star and so i mean it, it, it makes me laugh when i hear about all this like elevated horror nonsense and it's like well for the first two years in the 90s 
the best actress winner was was essentially essentially won the Oscar for appearing in what is ostensibly horror movie. So you get Kathy Bates in ninety for Misery, and then you get Jodie Foster in ninety one for Silence of the Lambs. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's elevated horror isn't a th- anyway. That's another yeah. debate for another time. Well, and how, <laughs> how often does the villain mm-hmm. character win an Oscar? It's usually the, right? the protagonist, right? Right. Yeah. And I don't think uh, James Caan was even nominated, but I mean, that's it was an interesting role for him because he's like one of these actors who's kind of like uh, macho kind of <laughs> gri- grizzled cop man of action kind of thing. And also he's Fredo and and the Godfather. So, it, you know, it, it, he, he could this was an, an unusual role for him to sort of be bedridden. And, and hobbled through the whole thing. So it was an interesting choice for him. So uh, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want James Caan to get lost in translation anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I will, I will add that yeah. um, having read so many books, um, I usually do tell people that misery is actually Stephen King's best written novel mm-hmm. um, and is one of the best sort of film adaptations so it was mm-hmm. it was sort of i was thinking you may go misery or shawshank so <laughs> i was i was like oh i think i'll go stand by me while he'll take one of the other two that was but, another yeah that was another one of those things is like do i go with shawshank because that seems predictable too mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but yeah we'll have to yeah. we'll have to leave that there whether or not our next film is one of Stephen King's best adaptations. We'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, Candace, I was trying to think of like, what's a good piece of music to set up our review of Firestarter? Can, mm-hmm. can you think of one? Uh, is it Prodigy? It, it is Prodigy. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Firestarter and then Firestarter. You're listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. if she's like the rest of us. Where's my wife? Where's mommy? Okay, that was a clip from Firestarter. It's the new film from director Keith Thomas. And it stars Zach Efron, Ryan Keir Armstrong, Cindy Lemon, Kirkwood Smith, John Beasley, Michael Gray Eyes, and Gloria Rubin. And uh, based on the Stephen King novel, as we've been talking about Stephen King for the last half hour or so, 
Um, have you have you reread Firestarter? Is that one of the ones you reread? Yes, yeah. So I've been rereading them in uh, chronological order of when they okay. were released, not when they were written. Uh, which, if you really want a deep dive, you can get all <laughs> of that too, because he writes he he, you know, Stephen King ends every book by signing it with his initials and the date that he completed the writing of it. So, but I did not decide to get that fine-tuned. So I've been going, yes, in chronological <laughs> order. So I reread Firestarter, uh, I guess, three years ago now, mm-hmm. um, at the very near the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've always been a big fan of that book and especially that uh, movie. Um, I, I don't know if I, I feel like I may have mentioned this, but Drew Barrymore and I are basically, we're pretty close to the same age. She was mm-hmm. born just a little bit before me. So all my life growing up, watching her on screen, it always just felt really great. I was like, oh my God, that's like me. And then I also um, <laughs> suffered from a fair amount of anger uh, and control issues when I was younger. Uh, so it's no surprise that Firestarter is a film that Like, I really felt like I was represented watching that. And it's Mm -hmm. no surprise why the Hulk is my favorite superhero. Um, You know, because these things are are, like, and that I love Vulcans so much. Like, I get it. I understand the trying to hold your emotions in and not explode all the time. So, Mm -hmm. and you've been um, on the run from a government agency for years. And uh, shh, stop (laughs) talking about that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, with um, all of this, I guess this this connective tissue <laughs> that you have uh, for the Firestarter brand. Um, how 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 did this feel to you? How did you enjoy this Firestarter? Um, so this was this was a perfectly fine movie. Mm-hmm. It was fine. There mm-hmm. was nothing. Um, There's nothing particularly bad about it. Mm. Um, and I th- well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think if you're just looking for you know a movie to watch then that's fine. Uh, I definitely think it got, um, and we can get into it a little bit more. I think the ending definitely suffered, but I will also say that pretty much, so I didn't hear very much about this um, coming out. I remember hearing just vaguely that it was coming. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I heard was specifically because Michael Gray Eyes was cast as John Rainbird. Mm-hmm. And so my first thought was, oh, great. They're actually going to get an indigenous person to play the indigenous character. And then my second thought was they're going to change the character because Michael Gray eyes will not want to play that character. Like there's no way that he would sign on to play that character. Cause John Rainbird is vile mm. and evil. And just like, I think he's one of the best. I mean, it's, it's difficult because um, the character is indigenous and Stephen King has some issues early on in, mm-hmm. in figuring out black characters and indigenous characters and how to not be tropey and how to not be um, accidentally mm-hmm. racist. Mm-hmm. But so um, <laughs> the, the character itself is just very, yeah, very, very evil. And his whole, he, I mean, he just, he is a little bit complex because he does begin to love this girl charlie mm-hmm. and and want her for himself but because he just wants to kill her personally and make it so intimate and just be like right there and to know like i'm the person who's taken your life and you've trust me and all and he's just like he's very creepy and really 
you know, so in some ways I was like, oh, maybe this could be great. I think mm-hmm. a Michael Gray as could could do like evil really well. Mm-hmm. But then I thought they may not want to because of the indigenousness of it. And but you know, it's funny because you mentioned um Rose the Hat, mm-hmm. who is such a great villain, and she is essentially the same as as Rainbird. Like they yeah. are very, very similar villains. Yeah. I feel like that's you know. Stephen King does go back to things sometimes and perfect them. And I think that that's what he did with Rose the Hat is he mm-hmm. took Rainbird and perfected it, made it less problematic and and more evil. So because they've taken all of that, because they did, they did make changes to this character. And because they took all of that, it did sort of leave the ending mm-hmm. anticlimactic. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the in- interesting things about some King villains. I mean, even characters like Pennywise, it's that they are like the kind of these powerful forces who, for whom power is, is never enough. Uh, they've got to sort of leverage that power over the, the less powerful, whether that's to get more powerful, like in the case of Rose the hat uh, or um, in the case of Pennywise, just because, you know, it, it sort of forces itself on, uh, less powerful people because it can because it's evil so uh, yeah that was interesting to me because i went back and looked up as like who played john uh <laughs> in in the original movie and it was like george c scott and i got Patton they got himself the, they got the whitest white guy humanly possible for a character named john rainbird mm-hmm. and then malcolm mcdowell played john rainbird in like a tv like continuation of Firestarter, um it's 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 right there in the name but you're right i i did like i like the intent i like this idea of um creating an indigenous character or re recreating an indigenous character because you're right king has a lot of magic <laughs> i'm not gonna say the word but like magic indigenous people yeah um tropes in his stories you know pet cemetery it um it's it's just all over the place and it smells bad given the modern context it's just horrible john rainbird is another example um so yeah i understand them not wanting to make john rainbird as inherently evil as as previous incarnations however i did find given that there is a history of indigenous people being experimented on in institutions, both here in Canada and in the United States. Um, th- there is an extra layer to that this time that um, it- it's sort of like a, not a neutral evil, not a chaotic evil, but you, you know, there- there's kind evil of evil that was forced on him. Right. There's a, like a practical evil. It's like, I will do bad things for you if you just like leave me the F alone. <laughs> and so I, I, I appreciated that more. And Michael Gray Eyes is, is an interesting actor, too. Um, I wish we had I wish I had found a way to sort of make that character ingrati- get that character to ingratiate himself in Charlie's life more to have that interaction, even if it's not like in the full, like sort of sociopathic way as it's in the original story where he essentially befriends her so that it makes it easier. It makes it easier for him to kill her later on. It would be interesting if he 
had like come in as like a school counselor or something. We have this problematic child and he comes in and he thinks he's going to turn her over to the shop in, in order to, I, I guess maybe barter for his own, um, his own release or something. And he ends up, you know, maybe becoming an ally to Charlie or something like that. Um, but I, yeah. I, 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 I agree that something had to have, something had to be done with the character uh, aside from, from doing i mean otherwise the rest of this movie sort of plays it straight like the 1990s and the 2000s and the 2010s never happened <laughs> <laughs> yes yes well you know they they set it up they can't afford that sort of stuff and then it's like no it's because they're because they're on the run but yeah 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 but i i agree with you i do think early on the changes they made to the rainbird character I, you know i appreciated that like they actually gave him sort of powers because mm-hmm. um he the character was very sort of mystical and talked about you know receiving power from people but mm. but it wasn't like you know so this way they they actually gave him some powers through the testing they introduced that you know slightly sort of political aspect which i think was good mm-hmm. um i was like okay once like they immediately like he immediately becomes the person who is chasing them so they know him and his face right away i was like oh this is going to be interesting how we're we going to change this but i do think that they the earlier parts of that and even when he was chasing them you know he was he was menacing you know he was mm-hmm. calm and collected mm-hmm. he never ran he just you know you sort of like okay this guy's kind of scary mm-hmm. but but when he turns and he starts to really appreciate Charlie for her power and 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 think that that is something sort of worthwhile, it's just like it's one sentence and then that's it. He just changes. And I'm like, oh, we don't like I feel like they could have they could have still had the character that they created and then made him mm-hmm. come to appreciate her more. Mm-hmm. It's like the movie was what about two hours and four minutes or something. This and movie, yeah, it was. It was, I, at, it was ninety minutes. Was it? I thought it was longer than that. It was ninety minutes long. Ninety-four minutes long. Oh my god, <laughs> that's interesting. That's the math of me trying to you know, watch a movie, and I was going, well, "How long has this been on for?" Um, you must but, have got a lot of you must have got the director's cut. Yeah, no. But uh it did feel like there was stuff missing there. I'm like, could they just not could they not add it? Would it have made it longer? I don't know. I don't know. And yeah, then, there was a lot of stuff missing. Like the the stuff with Irv, I felt was mm, was yeah. really rushed. Um I also think I I don't want to pile up on Zach Efron, but he was horribly miscast. I I, I'm not sure what made yeah. them think uh, Zach Efron, dad on the run, um, or particularly he just couldn't do like the superpower scenes, I guess, which is why they gave him like the bleeding from the eyes. So it looks like vaguely <laughs> menacing um, because otherwise I just like I didn't buy it. Uh, but... Yeah, I will say with that, however, mm-hmm. um at least they didn't do what they did in the original movie with mm-hmm. uh, David Keith, mm-hmm. um, not Keith David, David Keith. David it's very Keith, confusing. Yep. David um, Keith, yeah. But yes, when he used his powers, it was very. I mean, it's basically how uh, as children, when you're pretending that you can 
you have powers, basically how you pretend you have powers where you're just like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so at least they didn't do that. But yeah, I, I would agree. I did not like the little um, uh, neck uh, crack before using it every time. I was like, this is, I mean, I guess you had to come up with something, but I don't like what you came up with. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think that works. I had a lot of issues with the powers. Um, maybe not a lot of issues, but they, they, there's kind of like this starburst effect whenever Charlie like lets the fire go. That seemed like very video toaster in the 1990s um, <laughs> that I thought like, what are you doing? Um, maybe she, like we like the film is called Firestarter. We know why we're here. Um, you know, she starts fires. That has been, and this is like 40, 50 minutes into the movie already. So it's like, we know she's the fire starter of the titular fire starter. I don't need to see this. And then the fire starts that it's just, it's, it's a, it's a silly effect. And I'm not sure why they thought that was necessary, Uh, (laughs) but they did it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was something they did. It was a choice. Um, But yeah, it, it, I'll say Gloria Rubin also miscast. Wasted. Yeah. Not just miscast, wasted. Yeah. Maybe not miscast, but wasted. Yeah. Because I I don't know what they were trying to do with Captain Hollister in this. No idea. Like, were they trying? She's in like like, three scenes. Well, and was she actually trying to be like... A, a good, I don't know. Was she trying to change the shop to be good or was she stuck with this? You know, at least in the book and in the other movies, we know like the goal is to create a weapon and it's very like, I, d- very, I don't yeah. know. Well, I mean, it also you get um, you get Martin Sheen as as Hollister in in the original Firestarter and I'm not sure in what order they came out, but he was also the villain in the dead zone. Mm-hmm. He's yes, the, the president. Yeah. He's the future president that starts the end of the world that, that Johnny Smith uh, shanks his hands and foresees. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure what order they, they came out. Um, but yeah. So I'm also Mark Sheen's good at playing evil, even if it's like, o- even if it's, it's, it's like completely over the top scenery, chewing evil, like in spawn, he, he, he knows how to let it rip, but yeah, you're right. The, 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 the motivations of Hollister as played by Gloria Rubin are nebulous to say the least. Um, and then you have uh, Kurtwood Smith playing. I really thought Kurtwood Smith, like if you're going to bring, have, you know, Boddicker from RoboCop mm-hmm. in your yeah. science fiction Why wasn't thriller. he Captain Hollister? Yeah. Yeah. It's like we get one voiceover at the beginning and then we get him in the, the home at somewhere in the middle of the movie. And it's just, why, why do you, why are you employing these people and then having them do nothing <laughs> with the exception yeah. of Michael Gray eyes? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it just, it, it hurts. It almost like physically hurts watching like, I, it got to the end of the movie. I was like, what? No more Kurtwood Smith? That was all the Kurtwood Smith? <laughs> that was it. That was, was it. Was he? Is he too busy with that 90s show or whatever he's doing? <laughs> uh, it's, it, it just, it, it, like, it, it almost physically hurts. And I think the, I think one of the biggest crimes, if we want to call it a crime with, with this, is that it, it just, I don't know what, I don't know how the production worked, whether it's just like somebody had the rights to Firestarter lying around, or if it was like, 
it came out and people are like, oh, look at all the money Stephen King movies are making. We got to get this into production ASAP. I don't know whether because it's also Bloomhouse and Universal. So I don't know if, whether mm-hmm. they're thinking like maybe we could do like a 40 years later thing like and bring Drew Barrymore back. And Drew Barrymore's like, I'm sure as hell not playing Charlie for the Firestarter again. And then they had to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> but I mean, that would have been cool. But I, I would mm-hmm. understand why Drew Barrymore maybe would not want to do it. Um and then they just, you know, threw together a remake because, you know, it, it, again, the, the beginning where it's like the, they were college students and they were experimented on with the lot six and they get powers and there was a room somewhere where people were digging their eyes out. We see a quick cut of that. And it's just like, I realized that the 1960s were a wild time in the United States and they were just like basically experimenting on everybody. But you know, was that happening at colleges in the 90s? And also, not to put a too fine a point on it, but are they going to be experimenting on clean-cut white kids in college in the 90s? <laughs> yeah. And it, I think that's, you know, if we're if we're recontextualizing John, John Rainbird, you know, maybe we could have had people of color playing the McGee's and playing Charlie. You know, maybe that yeah, people makes who a bit more sense. People who were clearly poor and needed... Money. Exactly. People who are poor, marginalized, people you you know, who believably have been experimented on in the past, not Whitey McWhiterson and and Mrs. Whitey. Um it's it just feels like there were opportunities to bring this in. And like the whole excuse is like we're too uh my mom doesn't like me looking at screens <laughs> and we're too poor to have internet. It's like come on. Like the kid's never been to a library. And, and diddled on the computer come on that's that's just your way of getting around it of getting around the technology question and how technology has changed because the way you hide in the year 2022 is way different than the way you hide in the 1980 and certainly doesn't involve you setting up uh, a, a hypnotherapy shop on main street Zac yeah Efron. You know, I do like the fact that they at least put that back in the fact that that Andy helped people quit smoking that that mm-hmm. was something from that's how we made money in, mm-hmm. in the book, too. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it did feel like, you know, just just make it the 80s. Like everybody yeah. loves the 80s now. Just make it the 80s. Yeah, they could have just made yeah. it the 80s. Um but again, I, I feel that's like maybe a budget thing that maybe the just money wasn't just. Of course, they had the money to to get John Carpenter and his band to make the music, which is honestly the best part of the film. I the, the yeah. soundtrack is is awesome. I wish the the actual product was up to the standards because the the soundtrack is is really really good. Yeah, yeah, I will say, uh, John and Cody Carpenter um, are often played at my house. <laughs> often. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the score is good, and I, I went back and listened to the score alone, um, just you know to have something, some music on earlier today, and it's 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 good, it's good solid horror movie music that just uh, there, there's an opening sequence where you see like again video footage of the the McGee's being interviewed, Vicky and Andy, and uh, then you get these quick cuts of like people gouging their eyes out and being in this dark room and sensory deprived and all that. And it's like, okay, great. Here's a cool, like this stuff is cool. And then you just, it, it, the whole thing felt like, and I, 
I had this in the back of my mind the whole time. It's like, is this a pilot for a Firestarter TV show? Because it just, it feels cheap. It feels quick. It feels like we're setting something up. Um, we're going to have this like series of episodes where, where John Rainbird and Charlie go across America helping the downtrodden now um, while staying one <laughs> step ahead of the shop. It's, I mean, if you want to make that TV show, that's fine, but um, that's not what I came to see a movie called Firestarter for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, uh, I'll still stand by my. It's it's a fine movie. If you're looking for an afternoon of watching a movie, or if you're going to the movie to the to the Mustang mm-hmm. next next weekend or this weekend mm-hmm. in a few days to see Firestarter and. Uh, uh, Jurassic World. I don't think you're going to, uh, you know, you're not going to demand your your money back. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, despite that, I will say, and as I would agree, the Zac Efron was not great. But um, Ryan Kira Armstrong, I thought, did very well. She was good. I man. I had no no like I thought her performance was great. I do think it says a lot that I think she is uh, about twelve. Whereas Drew Barrymore, I think, was still younger than that when she, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think not that I'm you know, going to harp on how great Drew Barrymore is, but <laughs> she was so like well beyond her time um, as her, you know, troubles with addictions. She's, also. she's seen some things. Yeah, she's seen some things. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, just to, to see, you know, you you can't really compare the performances because Drew Barrymore kind of as a child actor really sort of stands on her own. Mm-hmm. But I I do think that Ryan Kira Armstrong was was good. Obviously, I did like Michael Gray Eyes. I do like Gloria Rubin. Rubin. I think mm-hmm. I wish she could have done more in this. All mm-hmm. great to see Kurtwood Smith. That's always fun. Except again, mm-hmm. wish she could do more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. Just it was just a fine movie. It was fine. I think the first, the first half is definitely better than the second half. Once once they're actually yes, yes. taken, then it really sort of falls apart because then you no longer there's no bad guys anymore, and it just kind of fell apart at the end. But the first, I I, I enjoyed it much more at the beginning. At the beginning, felt like oh this is all right, this is pretty good. Well, my unanswered question from Firestarter is how they were able to detect her, you know, accidentally blowing off the bathroom stall door in her school bathroom, but they couldn't detect her doing the training montage in the forest before the the, the, the finale. <laughs> well, because they weren't really, they weren't entirely looking for her then because they had actually set a trap for her that they were hoping she would come. So I think they didn't bother to... But they let the, tra- the, the training montage go off. It's like clearly she was getting ready to, but I'll digress. Um, <laughs> that is it for this week's show. <laughs> we hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. Uh, you can find us on social media, on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candace, where can people find you on the internet? 
Yes, you can find me everywhere on the internet at sin48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8. Uh, and if you're interested in joining me on my Stephen King journey, um, which has a questionable end, uh, <laughs> then who knows? Who knows? It may never have an end. That's what it feels like. Uh, you can actually listen to my other podcast, uh, The Village Podcast by The Bookshelf, where I pretty much give a little monthly update on uh, you know what I'm reading, what it's been like, and uh, feel free to ask me anything on Twitter and or Facebook about uh, Stephen King books, and I will tell you my opinions. Questionable end like a Stephen King book. Anyway, I will be back on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU. 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, well, campus and community radio. And credits will be back here on a radio near you next Wednesday at 3 p.m. And we will see you then. I'm the fear addicted, illustrated. <laughs>